Hi, my name is Joel Knox. I'm the senior pastor at the Vineyard Church of Brenham in Brenham, Texas. I'm so glad you're interested in our podcasts. This media is completely free to you, so you can share it with anyone else however you'd like. Our church is located at 1401 South Bluebell Road in Brenham at the corner of Tom Green Street next to the Bluebell Creamery and across from the Bluebell Aquatic Center. You can also find us on the web at vineyardbrenham.org and on Facebook and Twitter at Vineyard Brenham. Anyway, thanks again for stopping by, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you're not familiar with that famous Johnny Cash song, that was One Piece at a Time. And it was written by the Nashville songwriter Wayne Kemp. And it was recorded by Johnny Cash in the Tennessee Three in 1976. And personally, it's one of my favorite Cash songs. It's the last song that was performed by Cash to reach number one by the, you know, on the Billboard Hot Country chart and on the last of Cash's songs to reach the Billboard Hot 100 on which it peaked at number 29. So... And incidentally, when I was, was putting all this together, I found out, now there, there's this car, but there was, there was a man in, in Oklahoma who pieced together a Cadillac with parts from 1949 to 1969. And, it, and you can find it out on the internet. It, 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 it's, it's a freak of nature, actually. But, but it, it's... It, it, you know, it, it's a funny thing. And the, the thing that I like so much about this song is the imagery. I mean, you can see the guy, can't you? You can see him, that he's, he's going through the factory and maybe picking up a bolt, maybe picking up a switch, you know, maybe getting those shocks and sticking them in the, in the lunchbox. Of course, whenever they got ready to take out the engine and and the transmission and sneaking it out into the buddy's mobile home uh, might have gotten a little dicey. Well, according to an article that appeared in the Houston Chronicle a few years ago, every year, small businesses in the United States lose over $13 billion in income and profits as a result of theft. That also includes actual merchandise that is either lost, stolen, or damaged in the process of trying to take it, trying to recover it, as well as the security measures that they use to try to prevent theft. And then there's also the employees that that cheat their employers by, by not giving them the whole day's work, you know. You get paid, you know, for an honest day's work with an honest day's wage. But some folks think, well, you know, I can stretch my, my lunch break. I can stretch, you know. And, and so that's actually a way that, that we cheat. Now, last week I, I, I talked quite a bit about my dad. And I appreciate you indulging me on that. It was his Father's Day, and, and uh, I lost, we lost him. Um, it'll be 
eight years ago this, this September. And it seems like every year at around Father's Day, it just, it, it, it hits a little bit harder, you know? And I think it, in, I'm, I'm speaking for myself because I have the mic, but I, I'm sure you all can agree with me that it, it, it gets a little bit harder, you know, whenever, whenever the, those you love are, are, are gone. Well, one of my, I, I guess, the, the memories that has just been burned into my mind is how animated my dad would get when he talked about people who steal. He would get so angry. And it was almost like, you know, that whoever this person was is just sitting right in front of him. And he used to say, a liar and a thief are pretty much the same. If a man will lie to you, he will also steal from you. And vice versa. And personally, I don't know of anybody who likes thieves, and especially when we're hurt by one, it's, it's even worse. Well, we all know that, that stealing is one, one of the things that's mentioned in the Ten Commandments. The Lord told Moses in the book of Exodus, you must not steal. And stealing ultimately affects relationships, and it undermines trust which is why God singled out theft as something that His people must not do. And for the most part, I think it's safe to say that we're all pretty good about not taking what doesn't belong to us. I mean, we we know that. that We're not supposed to take what's not ours. But I think people in general, and and, and just anybody... We get in trouble whenever we start looking at, well, what actually is stealing? And we start trying to find a loophole. And we start trying to justify, you know, well, well I don't, I, I'm not as bad as maybe that person who, who takes from, from so-and-so or whatever. And, and so we, we kind of give ourselves a pass. We don't steal necessarily, but we might cheat. In the book of Malachi, the prophet addressed the people of Judah, and it was not too long after they had been returned from exile in Babylon. Most of the people that he was speaking to probably weren't even alive whenever these folks were taken into exile. And this is what Malachi spoke to that group of people. It's Malachi chapter 3, and it begins in verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of tithes and offerings that are due to me. And you're under a curse. Your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant. 
for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And when I was in school, and I think maybe you had a teacher like I had, teachers like I had, they talked about cheating. And they they would say things like, when you cheat, you're really just hurting yourself. And in this case, what, what Malachi is talking about is actually holding back from God prevents him from being able to bless us. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. And the title is, Give God What's His. Now to sum up this passage, Malachi says if a person isn't tithing, then they're actually cheating God. When you're just saying that, just ouch. Partial, disobe- or, or partial obedience is really disobedience. And that should be enough to at least make us think about our giving habits. Now, when I was a kid, my mom, and she'll she'll tell you that she taught me from the time that I could understand that she was speaking to me, she taught me the principle of tithing. And it goes like this. If you get a dollar, then 10 cents of that belongs to the Lord. If you get $10, one dollar of that belongs to the Lord. And, and it grows from, from that. And it's really easy to keep up with because it's, it's a tenth. And, and the word tithe means a tenth. So I think in order to talk about this, I, I need to, to set the groundwork a little bit so that we can properly understand what Michael was talking about. First of all, the tithe means a tenth. And the first time we see the word Tithe being used in the Scriptures is in the book of Genesis. Abraham and Jacob each offered up a tithe, a tenth of what they owned. In that sense, the tithe that they offered represented the whole of whatever they had. You know, one-tenth represents the whole. And the principle of the tithe is when you see the tenth, you can just as easily see the whole. And that's really, that, that's my kind of math. I don't know about you, but I, a simple math works for me. And, you know, when you talk in terms of tens, it's, it's a lot easier to count. You know, the um, schoolhouse rock. I, I was trying to remember that, that, that little, little ditty, you know, but, but, but the power of ten is, is in play whenever you're talking about the tithe. Now, in, I mentioned these, these two instances with, with Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, if you'd like to read that this afternoon when you go home. Abraham was living, living the good life, I guess, and his son-in-law was captured by armies that belonged to these five kings that, that were in the Middle East. And so... Lot and his family are taken away. Well, the, it, and if you want to read a cool story, this is probably it. 
Abraham gets together with 300 or so of his, of his, his best men who've been trained, and they go out and they take on this army that's made up of, of these armies for, for five kingdoms, essentially. 300 plus men, and they take them out. They completely riot, rout them, just destroy these armies. And when he's done, he has all the plunder, and so he goes through the region, and he comes across this guy by the name of Melchizedek. Now, if you read about Melchizedek in, in the book of Hebrews, and, and the writer of Hebrews actually compares Melchizedek to Jesus, because the man was also, he was a king, but he's also a priest. And so, in many ways, Jesus is actually a better Melchizedek for us in the future. In the Old Testament, he's a picture of what Jesus would be like in the future. So Abraham comes across this guy. He meets him. They have a conversation. And then Abraham decides, I'm going to give you 10% of everything that I just won in battle with these kings. Now, I, I, I can't imagine what exactly was involved. I'm sure there were probably cattle. There were probably sheep. There were probably all kinds of maybe chickens. I mean, you know, think about it. They, they, these were farming people. And so they're, they're just bringing all this stuff. And it's like, here, the tithe, the 10% is yours. And he offered it to this man as, as an act of worship to God in honoring this man as a priest and a king. Well, the second example that I mentioned here with Jacob is in, the, is in Genesis also, and it's chapter 28. And I'm sure you, you, maybe you've heard the story. Jacob is, is going out, and he's, he's, he's headed to his uncle Laban's. He's trying to find a wife. And he goes out, and up until this point, Jacob has been a pretty, pretty rotten kind of person. You know, he, 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 he stole his brother's birthright, tricked him by giving him a bowl of soup and says, you know, get, if, if you want the soup, give me your birthright. And so Esau, you know, he, he's a guy like me, ruled by his stomach and, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, here, yeah, I, I, I'm going to die. What good is, is my birthright? And so, so Jacob takes the opportunity to deceive his brother and, you know, and he even goes as far as, as tricking his dad. The, the man's blind. And so he, he makes out like Esau in order to get his father's blessing. I mean, it, that's, that's pretty rotten. And his name actually means deceiver. That, he was, he's just a terrible kind of guy. Well, on his way to his uncle's, and, and of course when he gets to his uncle's, he, he kind of meets his match. But on his way to his uncle's, He's out in, in and I, I, I don't know about you, those of you that are really outdoorsy kind of people, maybe you've, you've roughed it, but it, I don't think you've ever roughed it whenever you've made a, a, a stone your pillow. But Scripture says that he, he was asleep. He, he rested his head against a stone. And while he was sleeping, he had this dream. And this dream was of this ladder that ascended into heaven. And angels were coming down, and they were going back up. And at the top was God the Father. And 
he told, the, God tells Jacob in this dream, the land where you are, you're sleeping, the land where you're laying, it's going to belong to you. And so when he wakes up, Jacob says, okay, Lord, I, I saw your dream. I feel like you were speaking to me. If you'll do that, then whenever I start receiving all this stuff that you're giving me, I'm going to give you 10% of it. I'm going to give you the tithe. And we know when we read the rest of that story that, that he ended up basically routing his, his uncle. He ended up with, with 80% of the sheep and with all the rest of the livestock. And, and, and he pretty well cleaned up whenever he left his uncle Laban's, Laban's house. The Lord blessed him. The, the man who was the, the deceiver was actually being blessed by the Lord. Well, many years later, with the introduction of the law, tithing became a requirement in the law of Moses. And it was part of their worship as the people of God, and it served to support the life and ministry of the priests of the Lord and the needy within the community. After the law was given, God said to Moses, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. And we must set apart to Him as holy. Now the tithe was the first part taken from the harvest. And it was intended to be the best parts of the livestock and personal goods. Now for you and me, the first part of what we get paid for the work that we do would be considered the tithe. And how would we spend that? Well, let me ask, what, what's the first thing you do when you get paid? What, what's, the first, what's the first thing that gets paid whenever you, or whenever you get paid? Whenever you, when payday comes around? Bills. Start paying bills. Maybe it's the rent. Maybe it's the house payment. Maybe it's, you know, school bills or, or, or whatever. And a lot of times we get paid and... Our check is already gone before payday's over. And we're looking around like, what, ha what happened to all this? I mean, I worked so hard, and it's, it's all gone. Well, this is part of, of what, what Malachi was, was talking about in, in the, this passage. In the years after Moses, God's people drifted in their commitment to obey God. They still offered sacrifices, but their sacrifices weren't the best that they had. Early in Malachi, he was talking about, about people bringing sacrifices to the Lord that, that might have a bad eye or that, that might have a limp. And, and in the law, the, the best was what was supposed to be brought, but... but people tended to hold back the best for themselves and then offered something else up to the Lord. They were being partially obedient. And as a result, Malachi said that they were living under a curse. What kind of curse is he talking about? Well, I think that's the curse of not having enough. 
You feel it. I, we, we feel that. We, we have limited resources. And we would love to just, just have way more than we need so that we could, we could be able to spend it however we want. But that's, that's not the way things work in our world. We find ourselves under what we feel like is a spirit of poverty. We're always in need. We're always wanting. We always don't have enough. And we have a, a, a mindset of scarcity. Like there really isn't enough to go around. And we end up living lives of fear and worry. When a person is living in a state of poverty, everything is a struggle. And I've been in those places where the only car that you have to drive is always breaking down. And that's the only way that you have to get back and forth to work. The kids are always getting sick. They they need to see a doctor. And every time you take them to the doctor, that costs $50 or $25 or whatever the copay is. And if if you happen to be someone who doesn't have insurance, then it costs way more than that. It seems like everything gets broken. If you've got kids, they break stuff in your house. Just wait till they start driving your cars. The idea of giving when you barely have enough to keep food on your table and keep a roof over your head just doesn't make sense. How can I possibly give when I can't even meet my own needs? I've been there. I've experienced that. I want you to hear what Malachi says to the people of God in verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you and I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, please understand, and and I I don't want to be mistaken for someone like a a TV preacher. (laughs) And we've all seen them. If you give so much today, the Lord is going to bless you. And and the Lord may... the Lord blesses generosity. He does. And I, and I believe that. But a lot of times we, we give with the wrong intentions. Jesus talked about that. You, you, you ask for stuff and you don't get it because you're asking with the wrong intentions. And so in order, in order to receive, you, you actually do have to give. But... But I want you to see what, what the Lord says here through, through Malachi. He says, test me. And, and, and it's not talking about, I, I, you have to give up everything. It's just a, the tenth, the tithe. Well, Joel, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't have enough in what I make to pay the tithe. Well, you, you, a lot of us, our, our financial situations 
they didn't get that way overnight. Right? I mean, it wasn't just yesterday yesterday you found out that 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 you know you you have all these bills that are due and you know and, and you, you have no way to pay for them. You know, th- this happened over a period of time. And and this is the thing that that's so great about about grace and about about the mercy of God is that 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 God is willing if if we're willing to to meet him it, you might be able to grow into into giving that tithe but it, but it may not happen tomorrow you might have to give 1 or 2% or 3% but but the the thing is God meets us where we are and it becomes a matter of faith a matter of trust Lord, I'm trusting you with this to provide for me. Because this is what Malachi is saying. If you give God what's His, He will take care of you. He will take care of you. He will take care of those things. And you know, and, and this is what he's talking about. You know, we, we think in terms of, you know, the, well, the, the crops in the field. You know, we have no control over what happens to the crops in the field. But guess who does? God is in control of the crops in the field. And God is the one who takes care of all these things that we can't control, like how the cars run it. I had a friend years ago, and he was actually getting ready to go off to college. And his mother, could, they didn't have a car to take him in because their, their car was, was, was always on the blink. And so we ended up taking him to college. But that lady would pray over her car, and that, and that car was in bad shape. And somehow she was, able, she was able to get around town. And eventually the Lord blessed her with, that car, with another car, but that car kept running as long as she needed it. And it might not make a 400-mile trip, but it, it definitely could do what she needed to do around town. Years ago, I had a pickup that, that I, I, my parents got me whenever I went off to school, little Nissan pickup. And whenever Danelle and I first started dating, we'd go on a trip, and I would pray over everything in that car. I'd pray over the belts. I'd pray over the hoses. I'd pray over the engine. I'd pray over the transmission. I'd pray over everything. Lord, protect this car. Protect the tires. Well, while we were, we were only newlyweds, probably within the first couple of years that we were married, it got to the point um, that the belt, the, the serpentine belt was, was wearing out. And there was a guy in our church, he was, he, you know, an older guy that had some extra time, and so, so he, let me look under your hood. And so he looked under the hood, and he starts feeling around, and he said, how long have you had this belt? Oh, this is the one that, that came with the truck. And by this time, it had close to 150,000 miles on it. And he looked at it and he said, um, you might want to replace this. But then he, he took it off and he, and he examined it. There wasn't a crack in it. Now, it was worn down all, on the back side, like all the way down to the, to the threads. But it was, it was completely intact. And so in, in those ways, you know, we say that, that the Lord said, you know, well, I'll, I'll keep the insects from devouring your plants. 
The Lord says that, that He'll protect those things, that He'll rebuke the things that would attack, that would devour, that would, that would destroy these things. If we just give Him what's His. But the thing I like about that is that He says, test me. You will not find anywhere else in Scripture where God says, put me to the test. Try me out. Just try me. God's faithful. Now, I also want to make a disclaimer. Just because you decide to tithe, it doesn't mean that tomorrow morning whenever you look up your bank account online that you're going to have 10% more in your bank account. It doesn't, use, it doesn't work that way. We have to start looking at how we spend our money, how we, how we utilize our resources. Because ultimately the goal is not to get to the point where you give 10%. Can I just tell you that? It's not just so you can get 10%. Well, I did that. Check that off. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, God, you're going to take care of me. God wants to develop in us a generous heart. That's ultimately the, the purpose, to make us generous, to make us the kind of people that are willing to give. Because you know what the tithe was used for in the temple? Yes, it took care of the priests, but it also took care of the needy that were in their community. Now, wouldn't it be awesome if we, as a church, were so financially blessed that we could start blessing our neighbors, that we could start blessing our community, that we don't have to necessarily go to the, go to the bank account and, oh, do we have enough to take care of that, you know? And, and, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I don't want to... I, I, I don't want to try to knock anything like that. It's just that if we could be, be more generous, the Lord would use us in, in greater ways and in, in far beyond what we could really even imagine. But it all starts with giving God what's His. Because it all belongs to Him anyway. Not just the 10, but, but the whole other 90%. The best way to break the power of poverty and that mentality of scarcity over our lives is to cultivate a heart of generosity. And it's a process that starts with the heart. And once the heart changes, the mind will follow. And the renewal of the mind leads to making better decisions and seeing the effects of those changes in the way we live. Ultimately, as Malachi says, when we give God what's His, He will take care of us. Can we stand together this morning?